welcome to another edition of the UK Law Weekly Podcast with me, your host, Marcus Cleaver. This week, we are going to be looking at the case of Begum and Secretary of State for the Home Department. The citation for this case is 2021 UKSC 7. Each year, there are a small number of judgments from the Supreme Court that attract widespread media attention, and that has rarely been more true than the case of Shamima Begum, where it seems like everyone has an opinion about what should happen. When that is happening, I think it is more important than ever for podcasts like this one to try and be as accurate as possible, so let's start with Shamima Begum's story up to this point. She was born in England to parents who are originally from Bangladesh, and in 2015, when she was only 15 years old, she left the UK so that she could join Islamic State. Shortly after she arrived, she married a Dutchman, who converted to Islam, and she quickly rose through the ranks to become a top enforcer in ISIL's morality police. Of course, things didn't really go well for Islamic State overall, and by 2019, Begum was living in a refugee camp with the intention of returning to Britain. However, after a couple of interviews with the British media, in which Begum appeared to maintain her support for radical Islam, the prospect of her return was both concerning and unpopular, amongst the wider public. The Home Secretary at the time, Sajid Javid, then took action by notifying Begum of his decision to deprive her of her British citizenship. Justifying that decision on the basis of public and non-public evidence, the government contended that Begum still presented a risk to the national security of the UK. It is worth noting at this stage that this decision was not without controversy because it is illegal for a country to make someone stateless, and while Begum is technically also eligible for Bangladeshi citizenship because of her parents, the government of Bangladesh has consistently made it clear that Begum would never be allowed to enter their country because of her connections to terrorism. The possibility that Begum could be made stateless meant that she was able to pursue an appeal against the deprivation decision, and she applied to do so from within the UK rather than remotely from a refugee camp in northern Syria. That leave-to-enter application was rejected by the Secretary of State, and that is where the issues in today's episode really start, because there are three separate proceedings to consider. The first arise from an appeal by Begum to the Special Immigration Appeals Commission against the original deprivation decision, where it was decided that the Home Secretary did not depart from his extraterritorial human rights policy when making the deprivation decision. Furthermore, even though her current circumstances meant that it was not possible for Begum to have an effective appeal, that was not enough on its own to mean that an appeal should succeed. In a legal sense, the slight stumbling block here was that Begum did not have a statutory right to appeal this question to the Court of Appeal because there had not yet been a final decision on the deprivation issue. As such, she pursued a judicial review in respect of the Special Immigration Appeals Commission determination. Here, it was found that although the present circumstances in a refugee camp did not necessitate that her appeal should succeed, the Secretary of State indeed departed from his extraterritorial human rights policy. The second set of proceedings were not to do with the deprivation of British citizenship, but rather the refusal to grant Begum leave to enter the UK for the purposes of her appeal. Nevertheless, the issues at hand were fairly similar because The appeal took place under the Human Rights Act 1998, where it was argued that leave to enter must be granted, otherwise Begum could not have a fair and effective appeal against the original deprivation decision. 
The third and final set of proceedings were also to do with Begum's request for leave to enter the UK, but instead of a claim under the Human Rights Act 1998, this was another application for judicial review with respect to the leave to enter rejection and the possibility of a fair and effective hearing. All of these proceedings and claims are a lot to keep in your head at one time, but essentially it comes down to questions about the Secretary of State's human rights policy as it applies outside of the UK, and whether Begum would have a fair and effective hearing if she had to remain in a refugee camp in northern Syria. With that at the forefront of our mind, let's see how the Supreme Court responded. The first critique that the justices made of the lower courts was that the appeal against the leave to enter decision could only ever have been made under Section 6 of the Human Rights Act, i.e. that a public authority acted in a way that is incompatible with a convention right. Because that argument was not made before the Court of Appeal, Begum's appeal should have been dismissed. Moving on now though to some of the more substantive criticisms of the Court of Appeal, there was also a problem with their approach to the question of national security. Instead of examining the Home Secretary's assessment, the court instead transplanted its own view of the national security threat onto the case, despite not being in possession of any evidence itself, and not being able to rely on findings of fact from the court below. In a stinging rebuke, it was noted that the judgment of the Court of Appeal did not give the Secretary of State's assessment the respect that it deserved. Ultimately, it is the minister who has been charged with making that judgment, not the courts, and it is he who is democratically accountable to Parliament. Another problem with the Court of Appeal's approach is about what should happen when the right to a fair hearing comes into conflict with the needs of national security. While they consider that the right to a fair hearing must prevail, that is not true as the right is not absolute and does not have precedence over all other concerns. In the current circumstances, the appropriate response is for the deprivation of citizenship appeal to be stayed until Begum can safely play an effective role and national security is not compromised. The final mistake made by the Court of Appeal was to treat the extraterritorial human rights policy of the Secretary of State more strictly than it needed to be. To be more precise, it is not a rule of law that has to be obeyed by the minister, but rather a guide that aids the exercising of his existing statutory discretion. The word discretion is important there because the Special Immigration Appeals Commission is not allowed to re-exercise that discretion itself, and has to confine its own judgement to the principles of public law and the remit of the Human Rights Act 1998. Therefore, given that the decision of the Secretary of State was not an unreasonable one in a public law sense, it should be allowed to stand. Overall then, the Home Office was successful on all grounds of this appeal, and questions will now turn to what will happen next to Shamima Begum. To be clear, this is not the end of the line for her, as there is still a possible appeal open with respect to the decision to deprive her of her citizenship. The problem that arises from this decision is that Begum will not be able to return to the UK to physically take part in those proceedings, and yet she should still have a fair hearing, so far as it is possible to do so. My issue with the judgement is that this possibility is actually very remote. Living in a refugee camp with limited resources and minimal access to friends, family or legal advice is no foundation for fighting a battle for your citizenship. It's likely that the courts know this, and so Begum is stuck in some sort of limbo where she hasn't yet technically lost her British citizenship, 
but is not in any position to save it either. The comparison to Guantanamo Bay might appear extreme on the surface, but in a legal sense it is worryingly accurate. The justices in this case seem to be very wary of respecting the decision of the minister, and for the most part that is a good thing. There is a government review of judicial review that is ongoing right now, and it has come about because one of the key complaints is that judges are being too active in their decision making. Activist judges is something that we want to avoid because they are unelected, whereas ministers and politicians are democratically accountable to Parliament and the people. However, if judges are being cowed by the thought of this review, then that itself is disturbing, not least because this government has shown, via the recent policing bill at least, that it is willing to push changes through, even if they do upset fundamental democratic norms in this country. The Supreme Court did note that there is not a perfect solution here, and that is true, but where a decision leaves a person effectively stateless, that has to be deemed wrong in a legal and a moral sense. If the government is not willing to step in, then it has to be up to judges to do so, even if that leaves them open to accusations of activism by the government and in the mainstream media. Well, thank you very much for tuning into this podcast, and thanks as ever to bensound.com who provide the theme music. A quick reminder before we go that if you would like to support the podcast and help to keep it ad-free, then you can subscribe to my newsletter and earn yourself some nice perks, including more content from me each week and a free ebook on how to answer essay questions on a law degree. If that sounds like something you are interested in, then check out the link in the description to this podcast episode. Anyway, I'll be back with another episode next week, but for now, bye!